Welcome to the Jerome L. Green Performance Space here at WNYC and WQXR. We're delighted to present tonight's series, A Global Piano and Literary Salon with To Russia With Love. The Green Space takes audiences from around the corner and around the world on an aesthetic excavation of culture and artistry. A Global Salon speaks to the cultural fusions and personal interpretations that have never been more apparent than in the 21st century. A Global Salon series is infused with the passion, commitment to excellence, and the innovation of our two programming partners, PianoCulture.com, led by Peabody Award winner Jim Luce and Jen Luce, and Penn World Voices. Now let me bring to the stage for a moment Jane Shabatori, the stand-up critic for this evening. Jane. Thank you so much. One of the special features of this year's Pen World Voices is the group of six stand-up critics um, put together by the National Book Critics Circle. Each event will be, be, begin with one of us offering you a list of five books we recommend heartily. So tonight, I'm going to offer you five books to take a look at. The first is a contemporary novel, A Mercy by Toni Morrison. It's a novel set in... 1690, 150 years before her celebrated novel, Beloved. It's a little-known period of American history when indentured servants from Europe, African-born slaves, and native peoples from along the Delaware River were the serving class for a small group of landed gentry along the Atlantic coast. Despite a violent and heart-wrenching final scene, a mercy creates an aura of more optimistic alternative future for the country. The second offering I have for you tonight is a translation it's Without Blood by Alessandro Barrico, translated by Anne Goldstein from the Italian. It's set in an unnamed country at the tail end of a civil war, and it addresses the questions behind the daily news. When is a war over? How can a soldier return to a normal life? How many years, how many generations does it take to forgive? The next book I have to offer you is Housekeeping by Marilyn Robinson. It's a classic and it's set in the American West in the 1950s. Robinson describes a spectacular derailment on a bridge crossing a glacial lake, the train sliding into the water like a weasel sliding off a rock in the early pages of the novel. Within another couple of pages, she describes a woman driving off a cliff to her death in the same lake. These losses flicker in the background of a haunting narrative filled with eccentric characters, with water, and with the dark pool of memory. My fourth book to recommend is a small independent press book called How to Escape from a Leper's Colony by Tiffany Yannick, published by Grey Wolf. It's a bold short story collection set mostly in the Caribbean. It keeps up an intriguing narrative pace, and it, there are more surprises in this, this distinctive debut collection than I can begin to tell you about. Surprise is the fifth thing I'm going to offer you. Um, it's a book called Heart Like Water. Surviving Katrina and Life in Its Disaster Stone Zone, and it's written by Joshua Clark. It was a finalist for the National Book Critics Circle in Autobiography. The story begins in the French Quarter of New Orleans when Joshua Clark and his girlfriend hunker down to weather Hurricane Katrina. It evolves into a lyrical and damning witnessing of a city and a populace ravaged and abandoned. Thank you. You can see the book list from the six of us on the PAN website, www.pan.org. Thank you. Thank you, Jane. And now, without further ado, it gives me great pleasure to present To Russia With Love. Thank you.
Dear ladies and gentlemen, I'm Igor Belov from Kaliningrad, Russia. I'm a poet and translator. And it's so nice for me to be here with you because it's my first visit in USA. So I will read uh, the first, I will read two my poems. Uh, if you don't mind, it will be in Russia. But uh, after that, we can discuss it and to speak about Russian literature, modern Russian poem. Po poetry and and so on. Okay, and the first uh, poem is called Dreadnoughts. Dreadnoughty. В баре дредноут ночью мне снится свинцовый дым. Кошмар на улице Генделя становится вдруг родным. Пену морскую с кружек ветер уносит вдаль. А черным дыром колонок вообще никого не жаль. За стойкой меняют пластинку, так долго ищут ее, будто меняют родину, ну или там белье. В меню полыхает надпись «Одевайся и уходи». Все правильно. Ставят группу по имени Бегуди. Я вслушиваюсь, как реки прочь от себя бегут. Злодей вытирает лезвие, а майку Джани бегут. Любовь моя говорит во сне за ледяной стеной, и море шумит в заблеванной раковине жестяной. На деле же все не так, и в этот сплошной отстой с безалкогольной музыкой, приправленной кислотой, Приходит местное время с улыбкой, но без лица, и разводит на жалость голосом Гришковца. Вот мы сидим, гадаем, сколько нам ждать зари, если уже бледнеют ржавые фонари, на какие еще глубины опустится, не дыша, наша с тобой бессмертная силиконовая душа, разве что просигналит в память о прежних днях тонущий супермаркет весь в бортовых огнях, и проплывут над нами спутавшиеся уже чьи-то тела из пластика или папье-маше, только бы... Взять тебя, когда подойдет волна, На руки, словно куклу, выпавшую из окна, Чтоб уловить в подъезде, обнимаясь с тобой, Искусственное дыхание, ровное, как прибой. Thank you. Uh, and and another, another poem uh, is called uh, in, in the support of the sound, Опора звука. Когда ты забудешь улицы, списанные с натуры, все, что хотела сказать, и поэтому не сказала, эти сумасшедшие дома контркультуры, эти сердца пустые, как заминированные вокзалы, оставь мне контрамарку в билетной кассе. Распишись на афише, смахивающий на парус. Я поеду на твой концерт, а выйду на пустой трассе и увижу отлетавший свое и карус, где от карты Прибалтики осталось два перекрестка на черных от асфальта и крови ладонях. И обрывки музыки для подростков разгуливают в сгоревшем 
магнитофоне, вот так мы поймем, что не сыграть по новой, а мотор молчит, наглотавшись боли, и очнемся на дискотеке в заводской столовой, холодной, словно зимнее футбольное поле, не принимая это слишком близко, и смерть однозначно пройдет мимо, если с темной стороны жесткого диска ты выдохнешь мелодию, как струйку дыма затянешься снова и задержишь дыхание, хотя его и так с избытком хватает для занесенного снегом расширенного сознания, которое проснется и вдруг растает. Good evening and welcome to the salon. Thank you, Igor. That was fantastic. So, can you tell us a little bit more about what both of those poems were about? Of course. Thank you. Uh, but if you don't mind, I will read about this, uh, these problems uh, in Russia. I'm very, uh, very slow. Okay. Uh, okay. Should I, should Do you want to come with me? Should yeah, let's here? grab a yeah? seat. Mm -hmm. Come on in. And Laura will be our interpreter this evening, so she's going to join us now too. And I'm Ina Parker, by the way, and nice to see you all here. All right, Igor. So tell us about that first poem that you read, where I understood supermarket, which sounded much better in Russian, I have to say. Supermarket, yeah. In Russia, now there are supermarkets. We have supermarkets in Russia now. We've had them for quite a long time. So this is now an international detail. But if you're serious, the problem is that many critics call my poems jazz poetry. Но это не потому, что там речь идет о джазе, хотя о джазе там тоже что-то говорится, и часто фигурируют разные джазовые реалии. Поскольку Калининград всегда был джазовым городом, и именно там в советское время многие наши джазмены укрывались от тиранящего их режима. Because uh, my hometown, Kaliningrad, is known as a city of jazz, where during Soviet times many jazz performers uh, hid from the oppression of the regime. Но на самом деле все, все дело в другом. Дело в том, что мои uh, друзья, которые играют uh, современный джаз, иногда устают играть его просто так и звонят мне, чтобы я почитал стихи под их джазовый аккомпанемент. But uh, actually, what I wanted to say was something quite different, which is that my friends who who are contemporary jazz musicians, sometimes when they get together to jam, will call me up on the phone and say they want me to come over and read my poetry while they play. Более правы те литературоведы, которые относят эту поэзию, назовем ее так, городской лирике. I would say that those critics who describe my poetry as urban lyricism or urban lyrics are those who have it right. И это стихи вот о современных, э, современных русских городских парнях и девушках, как правило, не очень благополучных, которые проживают в удаленных, так называемых, спальных районах города. We're talking tonight, of course, this is the 25th annual Penn Festival, and I think Russia, as much as any country on earth, has gone, undergone radical changes in the culture and in the politics and um, certainly in the 
um, well, pretty much in all of your urban landscapes in those 25 years. A friend of mine who lived in Russia about 25 years ago told me that everyone there could recite long, epic poetry, at least when she lived there, or that was her impression. Is that still the case? And why was that then? And what role does poetry play now? Действительно, Россия всегда в большом количестве не только читала стихи, но и эти стихи производила, потому что в России до сих пор стихи пишут миллионы людей. It is true that it was always the case in Russia that not only was a great deal of reading of poetry going on, but there were many, many people who wrote poetry as well, and that is still the case. И, конечно, были времена, это конец 60-х годов, когда в Советском Союзе поэты собирали стадионы. And back in the 1960s, uh, when a poet gave a reading in the Soviet Union, they could fill a stadium. Но я бы не идеализировал это время. I would, however, not idealize that time. Поскольку я считаю, что это небывалая популярность поэтов и эти стадионные чтения были во многом суррогатом, суррогатом того, что в это время происходило на Западе. На Западе в это время был, была рок-музыка. Because I think that at that time, uh, the fact that there were these mass poetry readings and that poets could fill uh, soccer stadiums had much to do with the fact with what was going on in the West, oh. with rock music being very popular. Поэтому, если бы в то время в Россию приехали, скажем, Битлз или Дорс или Лед Зеппелин, я думаю, что публики у них было бы гораздо больше, чем у уважаемого мной, скажем, Евгения Евтушенко. So I think that if the Beatles or the Doors or some other group had come to the Soviet Union on tour at that time, they would have gathered a much larger audience than uh, a poet whom I respect very much, Евгений Евтушенко. Но людям в Советском Союзе нужно было как-то выпустить пар, и поэтому они ходили на эти стадионы, слушали стихи и таким образом искали какие-то ответы на те вопросы, на которые, конечно, советское радио или телевидение ответов не давало. But the thing is that Soviet people needed a vent. They needed to release that steam somehow. So they gathered at stadiums to listen to poetry in search of answers that they could not find in Soviet television or Soviet radio. We still hear a great deal about censorship, in, not only in Russia, but of course all over the world, which is why we're so fortunate to be here for the Penn Festival. Do you feel that same pressure or a different sort of censorship taking place now in a market economy? Ну, я, я, чувствую, я чувствую это напряжение определенное последние несколько лет, потому что, конечно, 90-е годы были, наверное, самым свободным десятилетием в России. I do feel a certain pressure recently because the 1990s were probably the most free decade in Russian history. И определенные изменения, конечно, негативные за последние 10 лет произошли. And there have been certain negative changes in the last 10 years. Хотя, конечно, вся, все это давление на литераторов происходит сейчас, конечно, иначе, и выбираются более, более мягкие формы общения с ними, такого общения со стороны, скажем, власть придержащих. Um, although the pressure that's exerted on writers now is uh, different from what it used to be, and it's much gentler uh, on the part of the authorities when they try to chat no, with us. Да, но поскольку, но поскольку все-таки власть в России книжек почти не читает, мы можем, в общем-то, писать uh, все, что нам вздумается. But uh, since uh, the leaders of Russia hardly read books at all, we can basically write, <laughs> we can basically write almost anything that comes into our heads. 
Хотя, хотя сейчас существует уголовная ответственность за так называемый экстремизм. И это понятие настолько широкое, что еще немного, и я стану фигурантом этой статьи, пока я здесь разговариваю. Well, just to calm your extremist urges, can I offer you a glass of wine? Yeah, yeah. All right. <laughs> <It's a pleasure. laughs> I want to keep everyone safe. And while we have a glass of wine, I'd also like to introduce and welcome to the stage Svetlana Smolina, who's an extraordinary pianist, who's now going to play for us.
Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, we're going to come back and hear some Rachmaninoff and also Tchaikovsky from you in a little while. We're very excited about that. And right now, we're going to turn back to the wild world of poetry. And I'd like to introduce to the stage Ksenia Sherbino. Thank you, Svetlana. Thank you, Aina, Igor, Laura, for this wonderful presentation. I enjoyed it backstage. So the two pieces of poetry I'm going to read tonight are both related to national, myth, national myths and national heroes. So the first one for the Soviet myth, Gagarin. You might know him, a famous cosmonaut, right? То ли снова болит, то ли снова полет, то Гагарин во мне гондольер, Гоголек безвоздушный, беззвучной степи, то ли космос во мне говорит, говорит, заглушая и мать, и отца, в синеве неземного простого лица под причалами мандалин, то Гагарин во мне, словно в юности бле, и луна, словно соты над ним, и луна, как калибри, пронзает его. Потерпи, потерпи, ничего, ничего. Возвращайся домой, там заждались его. Возвращайся и впредь не дури. Где-то там на земле подыхает жена. От того, что никак, от того, что одна. От того, что закончился сердце завод. Хоть с завой, хоть с совой обернись. И дрейфует она в невесомой тоске. Человек и его нагота. И плывет, и клянет золотую орду, бесконечную степь, и татаро-монгол, и того, что любил, и того, что ушел, и меня разменял, как вселенский обол, и его в темноте берегу. Я не лучше тебя, я не хуже других, просто так, отродясь, повелось, что во мне бесконечную нежную злость воспитали поверх одеял. Я ее не хотел, я ее не сдержал, ею я прикреплен к небесам. И на длинном, и тонком иду по водке, Как смешная собака, которой легко, Потому что давно решено, И с такой безысходностью хоть не ходи, Хоть английский печальный сервис колоти, Хоть в запой, хоть в завой на луну. И дрейфует вовне в невесомой волне Человек и его нагота, И его нагота говорит ему «Встань», И он ей говорит «Повернись», И в подздошной тревоге заходится пес, Будто что-то неладное здесь, И он смотрит глазами такими, как встарь, И как будто сейчас же женись. А она улыбается как-то извне, и всем телом как будто не лезь, и не смей, и не бей, и болезненный мне, и между нами тупая вода, и дрейфуют они в невесомой волне, человек и его нагота. a model, or you can imagine any supermodel, whatever. Kate Moss, I don't know. В платьице на ощупь луковицы и шафрана, сложенными надвое ломтиками шифона, словно сквозь но двойное и чуткое чемодана, где просвечивают очертания быта иного, прежде всего беспощадно выпирающий хвостик, остаточное явление неземной хирургии. Волосы, как у всех, из-под воль золотые, уложены в ним, свойственны всем иконам, в остальном человекоподобно и уязвимо. Или же это я, пяюсь и невменяем. Хоть женись, как водится, правда, не носит колец. Смотрит с каким-то ужасом на летчиков и на птиц. Говорит невнятно, мол, у нас так не летают. А как, говорю, у вас? Никак, говорит, не знаю. А черт тебя вспомнит откуда? Отец поляк или фриц? 
укладывается вокруг, как метель в стекляшке, но реально с хвостиком, словно бы опухоль. Закуришь при ней и начинает кашлять. Прозрачная, невесомая такая, что и не тронешь. Шифон распался совсем, прикрывая рубашкой. Позвонок по звонку, кругленький, как фасоль. Снова встряхнул, снова пошла метель. Изогнулась, осела. Та еще лебедень. Таких снимают в воде и Голливуде. Сквозная цитата. Диор, Лагерфель, Шанель. Так что свербит под ложечкой. Черт, вот бывают люди, и все у них хорошо. Весна, карамель, ваниль, миндаль в шоколаде на каемчатом блюде. А туда же. Хочет, чтобы я ее пожалел. Но почему у нее такой безнадежный профиль? И платье в лоскут, а за ним и сердце в лоскут. И что-то такое нежное, как молодой картофель. Господи правый, ну откуда таких берут? Thank you. So you've described your work as myth-making, myth-poetry, combining storytelling elements from fairy tale traditions and the culture of technology, purposeful grammatical distortion to achieve the purity of children's speech, and building a new cultural code that allows to unfold a person's cultural background into a collection of stories, like wow. a kaleidoscope. Was I that clever? That's what I said. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, I, I could hear... I don't speak Russian, and even despite that, I could hear in the rhythms of the speech and the repetition that, that sort of childlike use of language. That well, it's like kind of nursery rhymes. You mm -hmm. know, Humpty Dumpty sit on a wall, <laughs> that type of thing. Don't have a great fall. We're okay. <laughs> We're all right. Um, oh, I was so afraid of falling. So now <laughs> These chairs are a little frightening. Chair. We're doing our best. <laughs> so... Tell me about that. Why do you why do you think there's a need to be to make new myths or to make myths uh, through poetry now in, in Russia? Well, I do believe that it's the easiest way to understand reality. Mm -hmm. I mean, myth making is very deep in our memory, and in order to understand another culture, uh, the best way to do that is to understand the myth of another culture. Mm -hmm. And I think that a poet does. He translates uh, cultural heritage of another country to the language that his people speak. You know, it's a bit shamanistic. And I think that's what we do. Mm -hmm. We translate cultures and we try to explain them and to make them easier for other people. Now, you're a visual artist too, so you're doing this work in various media. What do you get from poetry that you can't translate visually? Well, uh, these are just different types of perception. Mm -hmm. I mean, some things we do understand visually. Some, ti some things we need words to understand. Mm -hmm. Just or music. do approaches. <laughs> when, I th um, when I hear both of your poetry, I'm, I'm aware that both of you have grown up more or less in post-Soviet Russia, and there must be quite a bit of myth-making involved with making sense of that kind of past and that sort of cultural inheritance, no? I think that's uh, a bit of playing with myths because, mm -hmm. well, I was born uh, in 1980, so it's about, I grew up without the Soviet pressure and I had to reinvent Soviet mythology for myself because what I got from my parents that was different from the reality I lived in. Mm -hmm. So I just had to play to understand it. Can you give us an example? Well, it's the same thing that happens with Gagarin, you know, when my parents were young. Everyone knew who Gagarin is. Now you can approach a 10-year-old child in the street and ask, who is Gagarin? And he will say, oh, I don't know, might be an American. Who are the new heroes? TV, Superman, Spider-Man, manga, I don't know, anyone. Uh-huh. And actually, why don't we turn to some Russian heroes um, in music, and then I think we, we'll all talk together a little bit. I'd li actually love for you to all converse with each other as well. Now, you're going to play a bit of Rachmaninoff now? Is that right? All right, wonderful. Can you tell us a little about the piece before you start? Yeah. 
It's a finale from his first piano sonata. Sorry. Sorry. Thanks. A finale from his first piano sonata. It was written um, Opus 28. And uh, the piece, um, not as often performed and known as his second piano sonata, but the idea beyond the piece, the whole piece is uh, in original version is more than 50 minutes. And then when he performed it the first time, he made a cut and... um, uh, cut it down to 45 minutes like <laughs> to make it shorter. Uh, he was very inspired by the um, subject of Faust and especially in particular Liszt Faust symphony. So a lot of um, images in this piece represent Faust, Mephistopheles and Margarita obviously and it's about the story Perfect. of love and death. <laughs>
time is absolutely brutally short this evening, and we're actually already running out of time. Before we end with, I know, shocking, isn't it? But we'll all have a chance to hang out afterwards, and we can all talk together. One thing I wanted to ask, though, our title, obviously, is From Russia with Love. And I wanted to ask each of you, because here in the States, we hear quite a bit of bad news from Russia, as we hear in the news from everywhere, um, about, you know, whether it's <laughs> corruption that's what or... News about. That's what news is about, exactly. So we've got a bad chance news. to be here with three extraordinary, creative, um, you know, brilliant minds who have the capacity to describe something more beautiful and more loving. What is it that we should love about Russia today? What is it that you love? I think Russian people in Seoul. <laughs> that's what actually in every nation, I think, that's the soul and the spirit of the nation and of the human being. Mm-hmm. That's what we fall in love with. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'll ask you, Ksenia, same. Well, for me, it's evident. Russian mythology. <laughs> <laughs> How would you describe that developing right now? You know, we're playing a lot with stereotypes, and mm-hmm. I think they're becoming richer and richer, and, of course, they're influenced by the international culture. Well, uh, you just have to read. <laughs> <laughs> and when can we see your work in translation published in the United States? No, no. but we have done a great job at the UPenn University in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. So, Kevin, if you're hearing us, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we'll keep an eye out for your work. And, and how about you, when you hear from Russia with love, what's coming to us from Russia for love today? I think that it can be love to Russian poetry, Russian music, and everything that we do with people, я в этой связи вспомнил выражение Ницше о том, что искусство дано нам для того, чтобы не погибнуть от правды жизни. Мне кажется, это совершенно очевидно, что... Well, what to love from Russia? It could be Russian music, Russian poetry, all of the things that make us human beings. And I recall the words of Nietzsche, who said that art it was, is what we have to keep us from perishing from the truth. That's a good place. <laughs> Well, the next piece that we're going to hear before we all have a chance to mingle and chat is by Tchaikovsky, and I believe it's from The Nutcracker, is that right? Yes, it's the most famous adagio. Okay, um, wonderful. And that's definitely a myth that is translated very heavily to the United States, including (laughs) for this former ballerina. So we're looking forward to hearing that, and then afterwards, let's all just gather together and talk. Thank you.
Thank you all for joining us this evening for the salon. And I hope we'll all stick around. Thank you, Svetlana Smolina. Thank you so much, Ksenia Shervino and Igor Bello and our wonderful interpreter, Laura. And please, let's join together now and share a little love with Russia.